The scripture reading today is from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 12. After Jesus had washed their feet, had put on his robes, and returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? This is the word of God. Will you pray with me this morning? Oh God, the three and one, you draw us into your community of love with people across the ages and around the world. By the same spirit that binds us together, speak to us today so that your message may encourage us and stretch us to trust and follow your example. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. We are in this final week of our sermon series where we've explored the questions that God has asked us through scripture, through stories in the Bible. And I have to tell you, I'm not sure I've ever led a sermon series that has caused me to do as much self-reflection as this series has. I've been stretched by it, I've enjoyed it, and I've also struggled with it all at the same time some days. From the feedback you all have given me, a lot of you have felt the same way about this series. Today, this sermon, this question we're going to tackle is no exception. Jesus has pushed and stretched his friends, his disciples, his followers throughout his entire ministry. So as the finale was about to happen, throughout as the end was drawing near, it is no wonder that he did something so completely bizarre and culturally backwards as to wash his disciples' feet. Washing feet, you see, was the job of the lowliest of slaves in the ancient world. Have you seen pictures of what ancient footwear looked like? If you could afford shoes, which was a big if, if you were not poor and forced to go barefoot, you wore sandals. And whether you went barefoot or wore sandals, the dust and dirt off those roads and stoas. Stoas were ancient covered sidewalks that looked something like this. See the flat road in the front, and then there's a wall, and then there are pillars. And on top of those pillars would have sat a wooden covered walkway that was the sidewalk. And it didn't matter whether you were down on the road or up on the stoa. There was dirt and dust that was kicked up. up. So whatever you wore on your feet allowed that dirt and dust that was kicked up by the wagons and the carts, donkeys, mules, and horses, that dust and stuff just covered your feet. And let's all admit that those animals left behind more than dust, right? Yeah. So when you arrived home, your feet would have been covered by this silty layer of dirt and dust and, well, you know, whatever those animals had left behind. So as you entered homes, the owners, in an attempt to leave the outside, outside, the homeowners would have servants wash your feet. And that meant in wealthier households, they would also anoint your feet with oil, soothing out the, the cracks and the calluses that you'd developed bringing comfort at the end of a long day. A good foot rub sounds great at the end of the day, right? So as Jesus gathered in that upper room with his friends and everyone was looking around in expectation, shuffling their feet, awkwardly not knowing what to do next, 
because it seemed that nobody had thought to arrange for a slave to, to do this most menial of tasks. As they stood there uncomfortably waiting for someone or something to do something, Jesus removed his outer robe, picked up a basin and a towel, fetched a pitcher of water, and began doing the unthinkable. He washed his friend's feet. The same hands which with a wave had turned water into wine had healed a blind man and blessed and fed the multitudes. Those same hands were now washing the dirty feet of his friends. In what must have seemed like a huge reversal of the social ladder, as the social pyramid was virtually upended, Jesus, the Son of God, teacher, miracle worker, Lord of all, descended to the lowest of the low. Now, can't you just imagine Peter, our dear, sweet Peter, He witnessed what was happening and tried to stop it. No, the master should not be washing our feet. If we allow this to happen, what does it mean for us? What will it mean for all of us if we allow this? We will have to adjust the way we see the whole world, and more importantly, the way the whole world sees us. I don't want to have to do this, he said. I don't want to lower myself in anyone's eyes. No, you may not wash my feet, Jesus. Financial and social upheaval makes us uncomfortable. Do you remember the burst of the dot-com bubble in 2001? My family was living in Westlake in Austin at that time, and a number of families in our neighborhood and our church lost everything. It started with their jobs, then the cars and furniture, and finally their homes. It was awful to go through. Folks talked about shame in that situation and regret for overextending themselves financially. One family in our neighborhood literally packed up whatever they could manage to shove in their cars, and they left in the middle of the night. We didn't hear from them again. When we witness someone else's financial vulnerability, it makes us feel pretty vulnerable too. If it could happen to them and they live just down the street, it might happen to us. So watching Jesus lower himself as to the status of a slave, a slave whose job was as menial as washing dirty feet, it made Peter panic. What if that could happen to me, he thought. What if that were expected of me? And friends, that's kind of the rub here, is that it is kind of expected of us as Christians. God does expect us to help the vulnerable people in our midst. And not just to help them, not to just anonymously fill their need and move on. That's a good first step. But that isn't where it ends. We're expected to be in relationship with someone who is vulnerable. That may may mean forming a relationship with somebody who's homeless, someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia, someone struggling with mental health issues like addiction or depression. To believe that that person has worth and dignity and to treat them that way. 
One part of Jesus's question today, do you understand what I've done for you, is answered by our response to that question, to what he's modeling for us. How do we react when our social up, uh, pyramid is upended? After Jesus washed everyone's feet and had returned to his seat, he asked this question, this do you understand what I've done for you question. And then in the Jesus way, he gives a partial answer, I think, to start us down the street, right? I have set an example for you, he said. The Greek word here, hupodegma, means example, but a better translation is actually sets a pattern. Providing an example to me is something you do once and then drop, but when you set a pattern, it's something you will repeat over and over again. When I, I think of patterns, it reminds me of my mom who used to make dresses, sew dresses for my sisters and for me. We would go to the store to look at all the fabric, and I remember looking up at those bolts of cloth that seemed to just tower over me. They were in all sorts of colors and patterns. I just loved looking up at all of it. I loved feeling the scratchy lace and the tulle, and I loved brushing my hands over the soft, silky velvet as well. The variations of colors and patterns and types of cloth, it just seemed endless to me. And I dreamed of purple satin ball gowns and a white starched nurse's uniform, a red wool coat with shiny black buttons, all made in just my size. They would fit me. I dreamed all that just from looking at these bolts of cloth. My mom and I would go home with whatever we had purchased and a McCall's dress pattern we would get down on the floor. My mom would have her nice sewing scissors, the ones I was not allowed to ever touch. <laughs> she would have the cloth and the pattern, and she'd set me up with my paper dolls, my little safety scissors, and paper. And mom would lay out this board that she used to keep the fabric and the pattern clean. She would pin that tissue-thin dress pattern to the cloth and then carefully cut out the shapes. She would carefully then unpin the pattern and lay it out on the next cloth she had chosen. Four times she would pin and cut, and she would use that same pattern but lay out a different cloth for each one of the girls in my family. We each got a separate, different, unique dress. And I was amazed that she used that same pattern but cut it from a different cloth, and it looked totally different, like a brand-new, different dress. In much the same way, by healing and feeding and washing the feet, Jesus has laid out a pattern and set an example for us on how to love and serve the people around us. But we each bring our own unique gifts, the unique material that we are made of, to the cutting board. The specifics of what loving and serving will look like for each one of us, is just a little bit different. We have to find our own way. Do you understand what I've done for you? I want to invite Diana Woods forward to share a bit about her experience finding her answer to this question. <clears throat> How are you? I'm good. We went through this at the first service, so some of this will not be a surprise to her. Um, Actually, I warned her. I did warn her that I was going to do that, just so you all don't panic that I might do it to you someday. 
Um, now you are a consecrated deaconess in the United Methodist Church. Can you share with people here who might not know what that is, what is a consecrated deaconess? Well, a, a consecrated deaconess and a home missioner who is uh, within the same order within the United Methodist Church is a lay woman or a lay man who feels uh, the call by God into a lifetime of, um, of Christian vocation, of uh, Christian vocational service. It's a lifetime commitment. And... Um, um, Consecration means that the United Methodist Church and the United Methodist women under whom uh, this order lies at this time um, recognizes and affirms your call and your desire to serve God in the way that you have explained. So it sounds like deaconesses come in many different iterations and like no, no two are ever alike. Is that true? No, because deaconesses and home missioners are called up basically where they are. And we have musicians and firefighters and teachers and social service workers and uh, worship leaders. But one thing that's in common is it is called amongst uh, women and men of laity who feel uh, a strong commitment for for service of love, justice, and, and service in the church. So can you explain to us what it is that you have felt called to do, how you would describe the cloth that you are cut from in your role as deaconess? God uh, called me from an early age, about eight years old, to be baptized. I thought about it a lot when I saw Owen baptized today. And I uh, came up feeling as early as college that I was to serve in social ministries. I was a home missionary in a juvenile prison um, center in Columbia, South Carolina. And as I grew um, older uh, and went through life, um, I had had a, a lot of suffering in my family of, of origin. Uh, and uh, there was uh, suffering that resulted from uh, what happens to many of the people I work with today, families that experience addiction and mental illness. And um, at some point when I retired from the federal government, I, I began to serve within the United Methodist Women of, of this local church. And I began to feel a really strong call that God was saying to me, everything I've done in your life to this point are the tools that I've given you to serve now in this place and in this time of the, the people in this community. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to invite someone else up here, Mary Lou Palmer, who is going to add an additional perspective on Diana's call to be a deaconess. Can't surprise you this time, but okay. um, <laughs> um, many of you know I'm the president of United Methodist Women here in, in this church this year, and uh, it's a pleasure to serve. I would like for anyone who is a member of UMW to please stand. As you are able. I should have added that. Sorry about that. Diana, we have, uh, uh, the United Methodist Women, as you know, is heavily invested in mission. And uh, we, from time to time, present a mission award to someone who, it, in our opinion, is the epitome of someone who serves God in the manner 
to which one is called. And we've heard it all said that when, you, when your deepest desire, your, your life's work brings you the greatest joy and it meets the community's deepest need, that is your calling. And we are very, very proud of you and thankful that you have answered that call from God. So the United Methodist Women uh, decided to give you a special mission recognition. Uh, been awarded to you. It's a gift for ministries with women, children, and youth to the United Methodist Women National Office, along with a pin that we hope you will proudly wear, and to say that you are indeed a gift from God, a gift to God, and a gift to United Methodist Women, this church, and to this community. And we thank you. God bless you in your work. We made her cry in the first service, but she was ready for it this time. Diana is cut from a very special piece of cloth that has encouraged her to, listen, to live into this ministry of helping others using the gifts and experience that she has in social work and social services. Not only that, as I have watched her, I realize how Diana notices everyone and everything. She can spot someone who is cold and hungry, someone who is sick or distressed. And with this sense of calm, she tackles their needs. I don't think I've ever heard her turn someone away or give up on someone that has a need for something. But we can't all be Diana, nor are we cut out to be Diana. We're all made up of our own distinct cloth that we can use to follow this pattern of service that Jesus has laid out for us. The key is figuring out what the pattern and the cloth look like for us. To me, you know, I'm standing here looking out at all of you thinking, you are so beautiful. It's like I'm pulled back into that fabric store as a little girl and I'm looking up at all those bolts of cloth, all that look so different and so beautiful, dreaming of what they each might become. I look out at all of you, and I just see bright colors and patterns. I see wool, and I see cotton, and I see, see poly blend. What are you going to do to make, what are you going to make with all this material that I see out there? I really can't wait. You're all so beautiful. I wish you could see yourselves from up here. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Amen. As the ushers come forward, I want to remind you that we have electronic giving cards in the back of all of the chairs here that you can, if you choose to give to this church by electronic means, you can slip that into the basket. I also remind you that we are um, practicing holding, having each hand in this room hold that basket and pray for all the gifts that we put into that basket, all the different materials, all the different resources we use to celebrate this church, including the fact that you are present in worship this morning. With that, will you pray with me? Loving God, you appreciate all the beauty of this world you created. Join with us now as we appreciate the beauty, the gifts, the materials in this room. Each one of us here has gifts, and you have modeled for us how to use them. 
Guide us now as we return our gifts to you so that we will know how best to love and serve your people. Amen.